Hi everyone, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church here in Chicago, Illinois, and we hope that you're well. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. To all of our mothers out there, happy Mother's Day. God so loves you, we so appreciate you, and we honor you this day as you sacrifice, lay down your lives for your family, and are truly intent on raising kingdom kids. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to continue our series called True Contentment. And as last week, we talked about uh, true contentment in the winning and the losing. This week, we're talking about true contentment in simplicity. And boy, is that a needed message whenever we're talking about parenting or motherhood in any way. But what we're doing is we're trying to focus on this because we all are trying to find a place of contentment in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And last week, it was reported that 30 million plus in the U.S. alone have now filed for unemployment. May 30th is actually the soonest date that the modified shelter in place is looking like it's going to be lifted in Illinois. And so in light of these things, it's a long time and we need to know how to maintain our sanity, our spiritual vitality and our growth in Jesus. So our focus today is going to be on this statement that true contentment comes when we allow God to simplify our lives. To do so, we're going to talk about it in three parts. We're going to talk about bound, uh, discontent with boundaries. We're going to talk about contentment in the bare essentials. And then finally, we're going to talk about contentment in Jesus Christ the bread of life. So let's start by talking about discontent with boundaries. If you're joining us for the first time, we're going to pick up with the life and ministry of Elisha, who was an Israeli prophet who lived about 800 plus years before Jesus Christ. And even in the midst of tumultuous times, showed us how to approach God and trust him for his life, his promises, and his purposes in times just like ours. So let's pick up in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 38. If you would, read along with me. It says, and Elijah came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and again, the sons of the prophets were gifted ministers who would hear the voice of God and were being trained in this company of the prophets to proclaim the word of the Lord and the truth of the Lord in the communities in which he lived. They lived much like God does in training people today. And it said that he, meaning Elijah, said to his servant, set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some of the men for, for the men to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat, eat it. He said, Then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elijah said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them 
and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. So when we look at the scripture, we see that really what they were experiencing is that sometimes there were forced rests for the land when it was being overworked. This happened during the exilic periods of Israel when the land was able to enjoy its prescribed Sabbath rest after the people of God hadn't been honoring the Sabbaths of the Lord and the Sabbath rest that was prescribed for the land. But what we see here is that the famine in the land hit the righteous as well as the unrighteous. The good news, though, was that God was still in control for the good of those who would turn to him. As Elijah was God's representative at the time, we see that God comes to meet with his people in times of famine, just like he's coming to meet with us during the time of our pandemic. Yet careful readers might immediately ask this question, why does God allow this suffering if he is so good? Well, there's a scholar named William Lane Craig in his book, Hard Questions, Real Answers, who provided a solution to this. He said that people tend naturally to assume that if God exists, then his purpose for human life is happiness in this life. God's role is to provide a comfortable environment for his human pets. But on the Christian view, this is false. We are not God's pets, and the goal of human life is not happiness per se, but the knowledge of God, which in the end will bring true and everlasting human fulfillment. Many evils occur in life, which may be utterly pointless with respect to the goal of producing human happiness, but they may not be pointless with respect to producing a, prop, a deeper knowledge of God. Now, if this is true, then we can understand and contextualize our pandemic and the famine they were experiencing with the right lens. And in famine, we need to know with whom we need to eat. God meets the needs of his people before, during, and after things like a famine in community. The company of the prophets were to eat together, and so are we. This is a challenge, though, not only in our world of social distancing, but also understanding the regular rhythms of the local church. Proverbs 18, verses 1 and 2 spoke about it in these terms. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And went on to say that a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Now, if that is what Proverbs was saying thousands of years ago, how much more so is it true today of our culture that's so vastly attached to this idea of independent thought and independent spirituality? The truth, though, is that God intends to protect us with his commands and leads us to his good ways through them. We suffer when we throw off God's boundaries. Though this is true, we often don't see the death in the pot and the result of our throwing off boundaries until we've suffered from a metaphorical food poisoning. This can start with things like moral philosophy. If we look back at 2 Kings 4.39, he says this again, that one of them went into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. 
It was literally when one of the sons of the prophets went out on his own and brought back some food unvetted by the community that the poisonous root came into view. This is what happens when people leave the pleasant boundaries of Orthodox faith and community to have a private and independent spirituality. The word of God is intended to give us healthy boundaries. Now, the prophet filled the pot not knowing what the wild gourds were. And if you've ever spent any time in the woods as I have, you have to know something about botany to know what vines are edible and which are poisonous. Have you ever been in the woods or a field and been tempted to eat a berry, a mushroom, or a root, or something of the like that you thought might be okay, but in fact it was poisonous? I sure have some several times that barely escaped getting sick. But this is what it can be like without an attachment to the Word of God in our lives. In this case, we see that even a prophetically gifted person, one who hears the voice of God clearly, can fall into error and their contribution can be poisonous if detached from the Word of the Lord. And wild can simply imply something that's without boundaries or restraint. Many times the things that we think will feed us are the things that will often kill us. Have you found that to be the case before in maybe a relationship that you had or some sort of pursuit that was really sucking the life out of you? Well, we can all have good intentions, but bad results. There is another cultural commentator named J.P. Moreland who even talked about the many voices that are out in our culture today. And he said it this way, that tolerance has come to mean that no one is right and no one is wrong. And indeed, the very act of stating that someone else's views are immoral or incorrect is now taken to be intolerant. Of course, from this same point of view, it's all right to be intolerant of those who would hold to objectively true moral or religious positions. Now, you need to go back to this quote and think about it, but he said that once the existence of knowable truth in religions and ethics is denied, authority, meaning the right to be believed and obeyed, gives way to power, meaning the ability to force compliance. Reason gives way to rhetoric, the speech writer is replaced by the makeup man, and spirited but civil debate in the culture wars is replaced by politically correct special, special interest groups who have nothing left but political coercion to enforce their views on others. Does this sound familiar to you? I know it does to me. And the things that you're saying are okay, and sharing with people about God can be poisonous if untethered from God's word by which he governs and judges. How often have you had friends or family members or neighbors who try to, to espouse truths about God and the faith, but they had no connection to the Bible? And really what they were, were they were just justifications for their preferences or their lifestyles that they wanted to continue. Well, we can think that we're doing right in our relationships or on the right trajectory in our careers or taking up all the right causes and are being a part of all the right organizations. Yet over and over again, things don't feel quite right. Our relationships break down and we have growing sicknesses in our hearts. This literally is the 
product of what we can call cultural groupthink, separated from the boundary of God's word. And this is what sin looks like. Sin is literally defined as missing the mark. Proverbs went on to describe it this way in Proverbs 14, starting in verse 12, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. It went on to say that even in laughter, the heart may ache when people are being carried along by this stream of cultural tides and the end of joy may be grief. That the backslider, one who used to cling to the commands and ways of God, the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, but a good man will be filled with the fruit of his. That the simple believes everything. And is that not the case in our culture today? That it's just the voices that are speaking the loudest that get the validation and most attention. But the prudent gives thought to his steps. And one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil. That in fact, there are things that God Almighty says are good and things that he says are evil. But a fool is reckless and careful, careless. Now, we don't want to be like the fool who's reckless and careless, but we want to be those who cling to the word of God and let God define for us what's healthy and good. And again, the very thing that you thought could be and should be feeding you can feel at times like it's sucking the life out of you. Some of you are feeling this way in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of your new home environment. And you might have, prior to the pandemic, thought to yourself, oh, if only I could work remotely and have my work-at-home experience, but not realizing that it's now causing unintentional death in the pot for you. Many of us are battling things like screen fatigue and are tempted to reduce our communication with the life-saving community that the Sons of the Prophets represented. And it's because our temporary format of connection for some are even creating new anxieties. An April 19, uh, 29th rather article in the Smithsonian helped explain why. It said this, that when we're actually face to face, we don't stare at each other's eyes for that long. This is what Stanford psychologist Jeremy Balenson told NPR that people have very dedicated personal norms about the proper space one should leave between themselves and others. But video calls can push that line depending on how someone chooses to frame their face. Video calls also remove several nonverbal cues that humans rely on for communication. Microexpressions don't come through on off-grainy video feeds and sitting at a desk leaves little room for body language. At the same time, you're aware you're being watched. When you're on a video conference, you know everybody's looking at you, you are on a stage, so there comes the social pressure of feeling like you need to perform. This is what Clemson University psychologist Marissa Shuffler tells BBC. And being performative ends up being nerve-wracking and more stressful. This is why it's so important that when we have the ability, we actually come together in person to actually worship, honor the Lord, and encourage one another so that we're not offended by things like 
texting and emails that express a tone that we didn't even intend. Has that happened to you before? I know it has to me. And the anxiety spills over into our relationships. Some of you have had even more challenges balancing things like family life. You've searched for quiet in your home, but found none. Some of you who live alone feel like you've experienced too much quiet. And the pressure points of interaction have intensified so that people don't even know at times what's offending you. Many people, including your spouse, your children, your friends, and co-workers are trying to interact appropriately, but we've all needed to find and dig new wells to give people grace in confined spaces. Now we hate these force boundaries that are thrust upon us. Proverbs 19.11 gives us some insight of how we're to respond, though. It says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Have you been offended at some point this week by a loved one or a co-worker? I'm sure you can think of something. And Proverbs 22.11 goes on to say that he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king, our King Jesus, as his friend. So this wisdom needs to be employed even while enjoying with, the, with our time, with our families, as we should be. But what we also need to know is that May has been designated Mental Health Awareness Month. And it's designated that way to raise awareness, fight stigma, educate the public, and provide support to people with mental illness and their families. As a whole, though, mental health during the time of COVID has been a challenge for many people. The stress has produced some detrimental results for many. And for some listening today, I really felt like this is a heavy topic, but it's a word of the Lord for somebody out there and God's trying to provide help to you even now. Uh, and for all of our prayers in this time, that we need to understand this as important, that there's been a rise in domestic abuse during this time as people without Christ who have little reign over their frustration and their sinful natures can go wild. This includes things like child abuse. An April New York Times article reported this, that as quarantines take effect around the world, what we call intimate terrorism, a term many experts prefer for domestic violence, is flourishing. Authorities report between a 20 and 30% spike of incidents of domestic violence during the lockdown. It goes on to say that in addition to physical violence, which is not present in every abusive relationship, common tools of abuse include isolation from friends, family, and employment, constant surveillance, strict, detailed rules for behavior, and restrictions on access to such basic necessities as food, clothing, and sanitary facilities. This article indicates that victims who are in this situation should disregard the stay-at-home order if they need to seek immediate refuge. And eventually, the lockdowns will end. But as the confinement drags on, the danger seems likely to intensify. Study shows that abusers are more likely to murder their partners and, other, um, and others in the wake of personal crises, including lost jobs 
or major financial setbacks. With COVID-19 ravaging the economy, such crises are set to become more frequent. And what we're telling you is that 2 Kings 440 actually provides a solution from the Lord for situations such as these. It said, but while they were eating the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. The sons of the prophets cried out when death was in the pot so that Elisha could intervene. And what we need you to know is that if you are suffering during this time, this is a word from somebody I know today, do not do so in silence. If you are the victim of abuse or because of mental health issues or dealing with depression or even suicidal ideation, please reach out. Let people know who can help. And I'm telling you that even today, there are private prayer chat buttons that you can press in our service today to reach out and people will stand with you in prayer to encourage you and go before the throne of God together with you to get the help that you need. And the help ultimately leads us to a contentment in bare essentials. That when looking to deal with the unintentional death in the pot, God gave Elijah the solution of simplifying to the bare essentials. The famine resulted in the sons of the prophets taking inventory of what they had and simplifying their lives to find contentment. The stew was a simple dish and the sons of the prophets stayed together to make it. Death in the pot didn't result in the sons of the prophets abandoning one another. Instead, they came together and it provided God the opportunity to purify what was in the pot. Now he did this with flour and flour is a bare ingredient for making bread. It lacks the yeast, which in a spiritual sense can uh, equate to things like the temptations found in entertainment or sinful habits that make a loaf rise. But what God's calling us to do is to simplify with bare essentials, simplify our lives with bare essentials. And some of you feel like even in this shelter in place order, you feel like you've been working more rather than less than when you had to report to work. And we didn't realize how often, how, how much margin and how much downtime things like our commutes back and forth to work driving actually provided for us. In this case, we long for the boundaries we used to have. And it might seem like a miracle for you to do something like simplify, but God can help you do it. There was a man named Norman Geisler who actually was an apologist who worked on many university campuses who was approached about the idea of miracles before. And he sort of responded tongue in cheek this way. He reported this, that a skeptic once said to me, I don't believe the Bible because it has miracles. I said, name one. And he said, turning water into wine. Do you believe that? I, meaning Norman Geisler, said, yeah, it happens all the time. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, rain goes through the grapevine up into the grape, and the grape turns into wine. All Jesus did was speed it up a little bit. And that's a beautiful picture of the miraculous hand of God working supernaturally through practical means. 
So we ask ourselves the question, where do I begin? And of all places, we can begin with some suggestions offered by the Mayo Clinic. They offer six recommendations for what to do in times like the pandemic. And it starts by saying, number one, that we need to keep a regular routine, that maintaining a regular schedule is important to your mental health. In addition to sticking to a regular bedtime routine, keep consistent times for meals, bathing, and getting dressed work or study schedules and exercise. Also, set aside time for activities you enjoy. This predictability can make you feel more in control. Number two, they suggest that you limit exposure to news media. That constant news about COVID-19 from all types of media can heighten fears about the disease. You wanna limit social media that may expose you to rumors and false information. Also limiting reading, hearing, or watching other news, but keeping up to date on national and local recommendations. They say to look for reliable sources such as the CDC or WHO, which is the World Health Organization. Number three, they say to stay busy, that a distraction can get you away from the cycle of negative thoughts that feed anxiety and depression. To number four, focus on positive thoughts, that we should choose to focus on the positive things in your life instead of dwelling on how bad you feel. This is like the life of thankfulness we're always asking you to cultivate in honor and worship of God. It says number five, to use of all things your moral compass or spiritual life for support. This is from Mayo Clinic. And to set priorities. So he's act, they're actually saying, look to God during this time. And we all need to take inventory of our lifestyle patterns. When Elijah put flour in the pot, it not only fed their hunger in the famine, but there was no harm in the pot when it was left over. This meant that there were no more poisonous roots or seeds that remained. Now, anyone who bakes knows that there is nothing necessarily miraculous about flour itself, but it was to whom the flour was pointing that made all the difference. And to whom the flour was pointing was Jesus Christ, the bread of life. And we're to find true contentment in Jesus, the bread of life. Why? Because Jesus is the miraculous flower that's added, the bread of life that will bring true contentment in our lives. Now, even before Elijah, many years before, there was another prophet named Moses who was appointed by God to lead the Israelites, the people of God, out of their 400 years of slavery in Egypt into the promised land of modern day Israel. But in to do so, God actually let several plagues hit the land of Egypt to show his hand and might so that it would wake the people up, grab their attention and bring them into the freedom that he had for them. And this is what it says about the Exodus in Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 33. It said the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. So what we see is that when the Israelites were escaping their slavery in Egypt, they were to take the bare essentials, the unleavened bread. It is what is used as part of the Seder meal, the annual celebration of that deliverance 
every year celebrated at Passover. If you grew up in a Jewish home, you may be familiar with this. And the bread and the lamb eaten as part of that meal to celebrate the deliverance from slavery are wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Jesus, in fact, over throughout the scripture called the lamb of God. The Israelites, though, were not to hesitate, but were to leave their land of slavery with this bread in haste. In the same way, Elijah told the sons of the prophets to immediately add the flour before they tried to eat any more of the food. We are to do the same in our reach for simplification and repentance from deadly patterns of life today. We need to remember that in good times, but also especially in times of famine, what your soul needs is food to sustain it. And this is why Jesus made it a point to clearly say that he's the bread of life. In John 6, starting in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. What this means is that you can have true contentment in Jesus Christ. And it's not only because he helps simplify your life by focusing you on what's most important, but because through the cross, he deals with the metaphysical need of reestablishing your peace with your creator. Even when thinking about the community where he calls us to deal with death in the pot, we need to remember what a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian and pastor said. He said, many people seek fellowship because they are afraid to be alone. Let him who cannot be alone be aware, beware of community. He will do harm to himself and to the community. Alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give an account to God. You cannot escape yourself for God has singled you out. Now, what this means is that God Almighty comes to clean our pots or our hearts by the blood of Jesus. He comes to clean our palates by the Spirit of God, giving us a new taste for things that are holy and righteous, healthy and good for us by His Word. And He comes to make sure that by the Word of God that we're feeding on things that are leading to nourishing life. Yet, it's not just about us only. There was more. Once we add Jesus to the mix to both simplify and purify our lives, he has us help to feed others. This is a call to make disciples. Going back to 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 42, it said again that a man came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elijah said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. 
For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. What this means is that as you simplify and prioritize giving your first fruits to the Lord, he multiplies that which you have to feed yourself and those in need. He does this because we actually have room now to be a blessing. Again, we know that people are suffering from things such as scream fatigue, but if the very first thing you do to relax when you finish work is to go to Netflix during your downtime, the space that you would have otherwise had for God is gone. You've lost the emotional bandwidth to prioritize in the areas of life you need most so that you have nothing left to set before others in your community group, your outreach, or other points of vital fellowship. In the end, binge-watching various forms of media doesn't end up giving something to me. It ends up actually taking something from me. This is the deception. And what we don't want is to let social media influencers or political pundits dominate and grab more attention of your time and then God and his eternal word. You need to have a set time every day where you're meeting with God in worship, in prayer, and in the study of his word. And if you're able, a physical Bible may be good, a good option for you during this time. Why? Because it'll cut down on the screen time and the unnecessary distractions that come your way. We worry we won't have anything left in the tank to give. Yet when you prioritize going to Jesus first as the bread of life, you have what you need for your family, your job, your friends, and something left over for the world that needs this bread to be shared. Now, what you need to do is not quit as you fight to prioritize and simplify. I know several of you are watching the documentary, The Last Dance, about the uh, championship bulls of the 90s, and I was inspired some, by some more of Michael Jordan's quotes as he went through this time. He said this, that I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. He said, I realized that if I was going to achieve anything in life, I had to be aggressive. I had to get out there and go for it. And finally, he said, if you quit once, it becomes a habit. So never quit. As you're looking to honor God, put him first in your life and learn to feed on Jesus as the literal bread of life for your contentment. Never quit. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross to taste death for you and for me so that in exchange that you're choosing to follow him, you might have eternal life. What we need to do is trust the cook. We need to cling to that which he says is right and enjoy the stew. We need to turn away from what he calls the wild gourds, which look good, but actually bring death as they try to meet the world's felt needs. We need to understand that when we turn away from what the Bible calls sin and come to the cross, you're simplifying your life. You're acknowledging that God, the life giver, is what you need, who you need, and his ways, even in the midst of famine, are what will sustain you. Even if to this point, you've been feeding on the poisonous root, 
Christ's resurrection from the dead means you can have forgiveness of your sins and today gain new life in him. So what are we to do? We're to repent and believe the good news that God can cleanse our pots, take the death out of the stew and give us new life in him. Now, some of you, as you're listening to this message today, say that message is for me. I know that there's been death in my life, my heart, my relationships, and it's been torn apart by the unintentional sin that I've clung to and the philosophies and all the things that I've been feeding on as a part of this cultural time. But today I want to turn away from what the Bibles call sin and put my hope in the living God. If that's you, would you pray along with me today? Say, Almighty God, I admit to you today that I've had death in my pot, and I know that because of my rebellion and sin, I deserve death and hell before you, but I don't want it. And I thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, to die the death I should have died on the cross and three days later be raised from the dead so that not only could I have forgiveness of sins, but new life in you. I'm asking you to forgive me today and give me new life as you cleanse my pot and show me how to walk with you in love and faithfulness for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, the good news is is that the Bible says Jesus Christ can become Lord of your life and you have new life in him. So if you've prayed that prayer, would you join me by going to secondcitychurch.com slash newlife There, you can find resources and the next steps of how you can get involved, like the sons of the prophets, in a community where you can grow in your faith and learn how to walk with God in this new life. As we honor God with our first and our best, not only is he going to lead us in the right way, but he's going to continually, by the work of the Holy Spirit, cleanse our hearts and our minds in him. So let's look to him today for our true contentment in the simplicity and look to give him all that we have to the honor and praise of his name. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.